I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to our February 2022 episode of Chordscast, um, where we meet and uh, discuss rare diseases with uh, with patients, with advocates, with scientists, and with clinicians. Uh, today, um, I'm Ben Forrid, as always, and I'm joined by Jacqueline Stockdale, who is um, a, a mother of a child who was diagnosed with uh, a CLN3 variant of a disease called Batten disease. Um, and for those of you who do not know, uh, Batten disease is a neurodegenerative disorder. It affects children. There are a number of different variants of it, but they all are um, caused by mutations in a gene called CLN. Um, there is a really long name for this disease uh, called neuronal ceroid lipofuscinosis. And that is... Um, a description of kind of what the uh, brain cells look like when you when you study them in a histological section, and so medically speaking, um, there are these. This is a this is a family of dis, of disorders that are similar because they have mutations in that gene, but um, the different variants uh, start at different times, and so there's a juvenile form, there's an infantile form, um, a late infantile form, and so there's all of these different types of them that go through depending on which gene uh, is uh, impacted and what the mutation is. And so uh, there's a lot of heterogeneity in there. Uh, this is a hot topic of research. Uh, Batten disease, one of the variants of Batten disease is uh, the focus of a um, gene therapy clinical trial at the time, at the moment. And um, that's, that's uh, something that you may have heard of uh, out there in the, in the literature. And so today, what I really want to do is introduce you to Jacqueline. She's an awesome, awesome mother uh, who has a beautiful daughter named Isla. And uh, we're going to hear their story. And, and so, Jacqueline, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I, I, can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for making time here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess maybe just by way of introduction, can you... Uh, Tell us just a little bit about yourself um, and about Isla, too. Talk, let's talk about um, about your family. Sure. Talking about Isla is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Jacqueline Stockdale. Um, I have one child. Uh, her name is Isla. She's eight and a half years old. Um, she is just the most wonderful kid that any parent could ask for. She was born in 2013. She had kind of a rough start coming into this world. Um, whenever I went into labor, 
Um, I had meconium in my water, so she was born with meconium aspiration syndrome. Um, so as soon as she was born, she uh, had to be lifelighted to uh, Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, about an hour and a half from where we live. Um, and she had to stay there for two weeks. Uh, so her entrance into the world was, was pretty rough. Um, but other than that, you know, they really monitored her and everything was fine. She was a normal, healthy baby. Um, she developed normally. She has always been very smart, very, very active. Um, normal, sweet kid. Uh, last year, she, whenever she was in the first grade, we noticed that it looked like she was having some trouble with her vision. Uh, her father and I both have terrible eyesight, so we just figured, you know, well, bless her heart, she's just getting new glasses like we do. So we made an appointment with the um, optometrist, and we took her in, you know, just a normal day, and the optometrist, whenever she did her routine checkup, uh, looking at her eyes, and, and this was Isla's first eye doctor visit ever, uh, whenever she looked at the picture she took of, of inside of Isla's eyes, she immediately pulled me aside and said, uh, something, something's wrong here, and I'm not going to be able to help you with this. You're going to need to see an ophthalmologist, and I really recommend that you go now. Mm -hmm. So she called Texas Children's Hospital again in Houston, and we went that very same day. We drove straight to ophthalmology. Uh, Isla was seen by the really great doctors there, and they confirmed that she had something called macular degeneration, which is found commonly in uh, older people, you know, it's just deterioration of, of the eyes, uh, but it's pretty abnormal to see in a, a kid as young as she was, you know, seven-year-olds. So we asked, you know, what does this mean? And we were pretty much told it can mean so many different things. We're not sure right now. Luckily, the ophthalmologist that we were working with, he was uh, working very heavily on a program geared towards Stargardt's disease. And he suspected that that might be what was wrong with Isla. But the only way to confirm that was through genetic testing. So. We went ahead and we did the genetic test, you know, just a spit in a tube, very, very simple, and we waited three months for the results. I myself chose not to dig deep in research at this time because the list of all the different things that could lead to macular degeneration in a child uh, were pretty scary, and I kind of decided, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let myself get worried before I have real answers. So we just kind of hung back and, and waited. Then, whenever we went back for our follow-up, three months later, in August of uh, last year, 2021, he sat us down and he basically said, uh, okay, well, we've, we've got an answer, you know, great news. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, wonderful. We, you know, answers are good because answers means we can figure out how to fix it. And, uh, he told us that it was a disease, CLN3 batten disease, and naturally, we had never heard of it. We were not familiar, we didn't know what this meant, anything. He said that it was a, a genetic disorder, and it was really not anything that he could do as an ophthalmologist, but we would have to go see a neurologist and um, a geneticist to get further information. 
So we did, and uh, naturally, the, the more that we learned about what this diagnosis means, um, it was a very tough time for our family, as it is for any family who is told that um, their child has a, a disease that will progress and, and doesn't have a treatment and, and doesn't currently have a cure. Um, since then, though, we have really hit the ground running as a family, as a team, to try to navigate this new world that we've been thrown into. Uh, and, you know, we've had some successes, we've had some struggles, but ultimately, I think whenever it comes to talking about Isla and how she is right now, um, we got this diagnosis so early compared to so many families who unfortunately have to watch symptoms after symptom take over their child before they really get a concrete answer of, of what's wrong. Isla, the only problem that she has, even still, you know, now, four or five months later, is uh, her eyesight is, is really strained, but there are, the other symptoms haven't presented themselves yet. Um, and so right now, what we're trying to do is just keep her as strong as possible, but, you know, Right now, Isla is still an incredibly healthy, smart, active, wonderful child, and you know we, we definitely don't take any day for granted, and we're lucky that she uh, is in such good health still to this day. Absolutely. Um, counting blessings is an important part of, of recognizing you know part of that journey and part of that, that I think coming to terms with what that diagnosis means. And you said something there that was striking to me, where it was finding a name is a good thing. Um, and you know, statistically speaking, a lot of rare disease patients spend, you know, five to seven years uh, being misdiagnosed multiple times um, before they before they get an answer. And um, and in in your case, uh, it's striking that it was it was so quick because you jumped right to that genetic testing and you were able to get that answer um, right away. Although the answer that you got was absolutely devastating, um, and so uh, I, I think everybody uh, is you, you don't even need to be a parent can can uh, attempt to even try to understand a little bit of what that feels like. Um, but I think that one of the cool things um, and one of the things that marks a lot of parents in your position um, and, uh, and is always humbling to me is your response to that diagnosis and your response to finding out that this disease in particular is untreatable, there's no cure, and that, uh, it's, that it's always fatal uh, and that there's not, a, uh, there's not a, uh, an easy answer to it. Uh, it would be natural for someone to be completely crushed and overwhelmed and, uh, and not know what to do. Um, but so many of you decide to go, what can I control and how can I move on that? What, what can we do to get involved? What can we do to find an answer? What can we do to try to do anything? And so um, I, I know that one of the things that you and I have talked about previously is that Isla's participated in a, in a natural history study at the NIH um, to study this disease uh, it, and, and that it's, it's, it's a comprehensive and pretty rigorous 
process to go through. Um, but that's one thing that you've done to really try to dig in and dive into research to get involved and contribute to that, you know, to the general knowledge of what's what's going on here. And so I'm wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, your decision to to act was that an instinct, or did you have to force yourself? Uh, and your decision to enroll her in a trial uh, and get that going, you know, what was that experience like for you and for Isla? Sure. Well, so first, I, I definitely have to to be very uh, open and honest. You know, a, a lot of people do say, "Oh, you know, you're you're so strong and you, you know, you're doing all these things." Uh, truly, the first, the first, I would say, week, uh, I we were not okay, and I certainly was not okay. I didn't just get this news and you know put on my war paint. Uh, it was <laughs> it was the grieving process yeah. was. Yeah. It, it, messy and it was awful and it was um, painful and, and intense and unlike anything I've really ever experienced, you know, just like anyone else, we've, we've all experienced grief in our life and loss and sadness. Uh, this was this was not that. This was a whole, whole different, whole different thing. Um, so I think that I just want to be clear that, you know, for a little while I really wasn't okay because I think some parents feel a lot of pressure of feeling like they have to just be strong from the get-go and I don't think that that's realistic and one of the greatest things that I got from another parent who has who I reached out to who has a child who's been diagnosed for several years now is they basically said you know give yourself permission to to grieve and to go through this you you have to you have to process it um it's it's healthy now I, I do know that everyone's different. Some people need less time and some people need more time and some people unfortunately just kind of lose themselves in that grief and, and don't know how to, to overcome that. Um, I am very fortunate in that um, my family has been there for us and uh, also just who I am as a person is just terribly stubborn <laughs> and very, very uh, determined um, to a fault. So whenever, you know, I got this, even though I was told, oh gosh, you know, we're, we're so sorry for you. There's nothing we can do. Uh, uh, that just was like, well, I hear you, but I'll just, I'll, I'll make that choice, I guess. Right. So I did some more research. Um, part of my research, you know, whenever I first got diagnosed was trying to reach out to other parents I learned quickly that everyone handles this type of situation very, very differently and that it was important to really align myself with those other families that felt the same way about it, treated it the same way, had the same goals and expectations um, because those were the people that I really got amazing resources from. And through reaching out and, you know, talking uh, to different families, using other different resources that are available for families in um, this situation, I learned about a natural history study at the National Institute of Health in Maryland. And although there's no treatment involved in it, what they do basically is it's a week-long study where they kind of just examine your child head and toe in and out and really kind of get a marker of where they are right now in their disease 
and then you follow up yearly and they're able to see the progression of the disease, um, what changes, you know, how each child is affected by this disease, which is so important because especially with CLN3, every kid is so wildly different to how they respond to, uh, to this that there's really no roadmap that you can go off of, of what to anticipate as far as when certain symptoms will come or if they come at all or how they present themselves. So for me personally, even though this wasn't necessarily, hey, here's, here's a treatment, we're going to give her medication, we're going to do this, it was just a study. I knew that it was something. It was something that we could do to be moving forward. Uh, and being stagnant is the one thing that is uh, definitely detrimental to my mental health, my emotional state. I just, as long as I feel like we're moving forward in some capacity, then I, you know, I can be strong for, for Isla. Although, uh, you know, frankly, she doesn't really need strength from anyone. She's <laughs> so amazing, and she's the strongest one of all of us. She's the one who kind of carries us day to day. So I, I reached out to uh, the team at NIH, and, you know, I had a lot of questions before I really made the decision that this was a good fit for us. Uh, they were so informative and open and transparent about what they do, what our expectations should be, what this, you know, what this means for Isla and what this means for other children. Um, and that really, honestly, this kind of research, because the NIH opens it up to all researchers who are working on this disease, it's such valuable information that's hard to come by. And it's, that's a small part that we can play to help move all of, you know, these children who have batten disease forward. Obviously, um, that's something we should do. I think also because Isla is in such pristine health still, um, and they don't see a lot of children with this diagnosis who they're able to see so early on, you know, I, I felt like that made her maybe even a little bit more valuable because she's, you know, she presents herself a little bit different. So we uh, we decided, let's, let's do this. This is what we wanted to do. Um, it is, as far as the process goes, you know, they really catered towards us and made us feel very comfortable. They provided, um, again, they just really provided ample information. So at no time did we ever feel like this isn't what we expected. It was uh, a long week, for sure. It was, it was a, a lot of work. It was tough on any kid, I think, to just kind of be stuck test after test, you know, even though they're not invasive, um, they were just kind of checking her eyes, checking her ears, checking her, you know, cognitive abilities, her speech, everything. But Isla was a champ, um, and they really make it as fun for the kids as they can. Um, and really, just during that process, I think that it allowed us, for the first time ever, to be kind of enveloped in our diagnosis without an escape you know with COVID protocols we couldn't leave the we couldn't leave the facility and so it was a week long of just being there in the moment faced with with this uh with this diagnosis 
And although it, you know, it was hard and it wasn't always fun, I think that it really helped us really process what we were looking at. And in the end, it, it really, it made us feel stronger as a family. Um, you know, Isla, she's so young. She doesn't really, un- she doesn't understand what's going on. Right. The way that we have explained it to her, and this is just what works for our family, is we said, hey, we know that you're struggling to see. You know, your eyes... We, we know that it's hard sometimes and that can be frustrating and we're going to work on it. And when we're at this hospital, you know, these doctors are going to try to help you, but also you're able to help other children. And that's really, really amazing. And we're so proud of you. And of course, you know, she's very happy to be able to help because she's still giving by nature. Um, but, you know, the natural history study, it was just something that we could do to where we felt like we were helping in the only way that we really know how or that is available. Um, and of course, you know, here we have this full report of Isle's health, which that's very beneficial for us to be able to say, hey, we know exactly where her vision is, where her hearing is, her, you know, speech, her, just every, everything. Um, and to be able to have those kind of markers and then to be having year to year information means a lot to me so even if it's not treatment just knowing where we're going and where we are and where we're headed uh, that does a lot for me and I hope that any other family who participates um, or is thinking about participating can uh, understand that you definitely get something out of it too for sure well I'm I'm almost at a loss for words I mean that was such a powerful statement of your experience and and what you felt um especially the recognition of the the varying degrees and the very varying reactions that that you have as a parent to a diagnosis um but also uh to being able to participate in something and and um, surround yourself with with people who who've been there in a previous conversation you and i had talked a little bit about Isla's specific genetic results and she has a mutation in the gene CLN3, um, two mutations rather. And um, you, you mentioned that this is, from what the doctors have told you, somewhat of a, even though this is a rare disease, this is a rare mutation within that rare disease. Um, and uh, and I, I'm wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit to that because like you said, within kids who have Batten disease, this this variant, there is a, a spectrum that you know that there's there's differences but from child to child and we we don't know why we don't know the full details we're still trying to understand so much um and so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you know about that and what you've learned about that sure so yes whenever we got her genetic test um it showed that isla has one deletion and one mutation uh, to my understanding, uh, between 80-85% of children with CLN3, variant of Batten disease, have two deletions, which means there's no protein function um, and they're just not really working. Most other mutations mean the same thing. They're just non-functional. Uh, then I, you know, after kind of re- reaching out to any doctor that I could find on the internet in my very first week, <laughs> Uh, to ask questions, 
I was kind of led to, hey, maybe look in a little bit further to what this mutation might mean. So I did, which involved uh, reading a, a bunch of, you know, genetic reports that did not at the time make sense to me. I had to go to uh, our uni local university library and sit in the stacks and read books about genetics so that way I could understand these reports a little bit better. But actually, it's, it's an, I'm, this is what I tell people all the time, it's amazing what you can absorb whenever your child's life depends on it. So I, I, I caught on pretty quick. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not anywhere close to, to what the researchers and doctors are able to provide, but, but at least I could read these reports and, and kind of have an idea of what language they were speaking. Um, but her mutation is, um, there's lots of different names for it. Uh, it's a G to A or glutamic acid to lysine mutation. And from what I found in my research is, although there are very, very few people who have been documented who have this specific mutation, all of them are four, well, I say all of them, I think there's like two or three ever, and it's been a while. But those people, they had uh, atypical disease progression. It looked very different. Their symptoms, their, um, their, their life expectancy, everything looked just very, very different. And the one thing they had in common was this one very specific mutation that Isla also shares. My first instinct was to talk about it with, you know, uh, with some doctors and the first doctor basically said, you know, ah, does, it, mutations don't mean anything. It's all, you know, it's, you're all headed down the same path. And I was like, well, okay, I, I hear you. And I registered that. But again, being very stubborn, I kind of went and went for more opinions and talked to more people. Um, and the more that I found, the more I really realized that, no, this, this really could look different. And there's no guarantee, you know, she could progress the same as every other child, um, but it could be different. And my reasoning for really trying to dig deeper in this is not because I'm trying to hold on or, or grasp at, at some sort of straw that, you know, is better news for us. It's just more of me wanting a clearer picture of what we can anticipate. And if the route for any sort of treatment could look different for her because, frankly, her disease looks different and is different genetically. So it, it comes more from a place of just really wanting a clearer picture. Um, right now, it's still so early on, and even though there are so many exciting things that our researchers and doctors are working on for CLN3-Batten disease, it, it's still kind of hazy what the future looks like and if Isla's mutation is going to be something that could be beneficial for them just learning wise or if there is a different route that would work for her that might not work for other children we just we don't know what the future holds and some days that's really frustrating because mm -hmm. you know uh, mm -hmm. yeah it would be nice just to have a small glimpse right but all I'm trying to do right now is gather information and get a clear picture of, you know, what exactly Isla's disease looks like, not necessarily every other child's disease look like. And that's what I try to tell other parents is, you know, even if your child has two deletions or 
this or that, it doesn't really matter because every kid is so, so different. And it's easy to get discouraged whenever you see other children who are so far along in their disease progression. But you have to remind yourself that, you know, that that's not your child. And um, you, you really have to kind of take it individually and help your child however they need help instead of just trying to treat them all together. Right. Um, it, it's it's a immeasurably complex. Um, it's it's very complicated, but knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said was, it's amazing the amount you can absorb when your child's life is on the line. I and I mean, I don't mean to laugh because that's not funny, but it, it's 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 uh, it's only humorous to me because uh, I have this experience that I've had for the past five, ten years of knowing parents who are in your position, who, um, to the best of my knowledge, Jacqueline, you don't have a scientific background. You, you didn't, uh, you, Certainly not. so, you, you know, there's, 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 a a common thread among parents who get this diagnosis or get, get a, a rare disease diagnosis where you don't understand the nuances of what's happening. And, um, It's humbling to me to see how quickly a lot of you pick up like a mini PhD's worth of knowledge and and the conversations that you have with researchers and scientists that are there. And I've had conversations with researchers and scientists offline that have said, um, sometimes the most informative conversations I have are with the parents because they have done the work to understand the the, the cellular and genetic mechanisms behind things, and they get it, but they're also able to tell me what life is like with this. And uh, what a powerful statement, you know what I mean? And, and so there's this, this common thread among that community that I, th- I think is, um, is, an, is a testament to, um, to your willpower, is a testament to, uh, to your strength and what, what you what you do when you're put into this situation uh, in a lot of cases. Um, so I, I, uh, last thing I, I wanted to kind of touch on um, is, a, is a little less scientific, a little more um, lighthearted, I suppose. <laughs> so you and I met on um, social media. So this is, I said, the social media runs the world these days, but you, you and I met on uh, Facebook, I believe, and, and, um, and we you know, got to know each other there first. Um, and Isla, you're in Southeast Texas. Um, Isla has quite the uh, following in your corner of the world. Um, that your community has shown up in an in an amazing way. Um, Isla has her own craft beer. Um, there's like an Isla. There's like a barbecue sauce uh, that I that I've seen. I, there are <laughs> like I <laughs> I want to hang out with Isla. You know, like I, there's there's like a <laughs> There's this thing there that I see on, on on Facebook. I'm wondering if you can maybe just talk about the support you've received from your community, um, because it, it's striking. Um, and talk about that a little bit. It real it really is. Um, and you know, there's really not a day that goes by that I'm not just kind of like in awe of of the amount of support and love that we have from from our community. Um, 
you know, even before this diagnosis, I was always been, she was just born a special kid. And you know, I know all parents say that, but she really was. She was just born a special kid. She was so joyful and kind and warm and, um, you know, not to get super mushy about it, but sometimes I really do, I really do believe in my heart that, you know, maybe it takes a special kind of kid to have to carry this weight and, I know without a doubt that Kyla's strong enough, she's brave enough, she's she's um, special enough to where she can carry this weight and really make a difference. And already in such a short amount of time, that's something that we've seen. So we, we got our diagnosis and for the first month it was private in our family. It was not something we just went around talking about. We were still processing and grieving and trying to figure out what, where do we go from here. And once, you know, we kind of got a little bit of a game plan as far as, well, we're just going to learn. There's nothing we can do, per se, but we're going to learn everything that we can about this disease. And we're going to come in contact with everyone who's working on it and, you know, say, hey, how can we help? <laughs> what can we do? We're here. We're, we're ready and waiting. Um, and after that, you know, it was kind of just me and my husband sitting down and saying, look, you know what? We're trying to be tough and we're trying to be strong, but we've got to be real. We can't do this alone. We can't. We can't do this alone. Um, mentally, emotionally, financially, we we need some help. Okay, and so we oh, kind of open the doors, and it is difficult for a lot of people, especially for for me, to make myself vulnerable in that way to say, "Hey, I I need some help," but. Again, when your child's life depends on it, you know, you, you'll do anything. And so I just really, I started a website, and it was basically, hey, here's our story, guys. Here's our story. And my goal through this is that people can understand that Isla, you know, as a, a newly visually impaired child is having some certain struggles. And, uh, you know, there's you can't just necessarily interact with her the same way that we would a year ago because she has new obstacles and and I want everyone to be aware so that they can treat her appropriately which is just kind of give her a little extra grace help her out when she needs help and just understand what our family is going through and again you know whenever it comes to the rare disease world you say oh my child has CLNP that disease and you can say that to anyone and no one's going to say oh yeah I'm very familiar you know it's so there, you have to kind of have a blanket statement. So again, you're not constantly, whenever you tell someone, having to explain the whole thing, it's sort of easier just to put it out in the world and let everyone kind of process it, you know, uh, together. Uh, that was easier for us. But we put it out there, and it was just kind of like, hey, our family is going through a, a tough time, and uh, here's where we're at. And we're just asking for support and prayers, and and really we're trying to give visibility to our daughter who has this genetic disease that does not have any visibility. You know, it's 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 a mystery to everyone, and we don't want it to be. We want people to understand how amazing Isla is, and how tough she is, and how hard she's working to overcome these obstacles. So we put it out there, and you know, I was I, the goal was solely just. To let everyone know, hey, here's a very big deal that's going on in our life, 
and um, you know, just to just to have people who are thinking about us and 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 for Isla, I say for us, for Isla. That's that's all that I really cared about. But it kind of came out in a totally different way. It wasn't just oh, we're, we're thinking of you. It was hey, we want to help too. It was that same mindset of no, we're not just going to sit down. We're going to do whatever we can. And I don't know what that is, but we're let's start brainstorming ideas. And then I had, um, first there was, uh, there's this really amazing local business and it's called Buxton Brewery. And uh, <laughs> Gabby and Justin, the owners, came to me and said, hey, uh, we want to put on a benefit for Isla. You don't have to do anything, but um, is, that, is that okay with you? And I said, well, okay, I, I certainly don't know the first thing about fundraising or benefits or anything like that, but if it spreads awareness of my amazing child, um, you know, and again, networking is so important. You and I met through being open about, hey, here's Isla, and someone who knew me, knew you, and connected us, you know, I mean, I mean, networking is so important, so that's really been the, the, the main goal is, is just to make sure that people know about Isla and what she's going through, so if there's someone anywhere that can help, we're not invisible. And so, yes, they, they made their own craft, craft beer named after <laughs> Isla's face, and she has her logo on the can, and um, that day was incredible. We, you know, we expected our friends and family would show up, but to see thousands of people come out and and celebrate Isla, you know, it wasn't, none of it was just, oh, poor Isla or anything sad, it was a celebration of her strength and how just amazing she is, even though she's, you know, having to go through all of these kind of fast-paced hardships, um, and that was kind of the first event that got things going, and since then we've had, yes, everyone kind of come out and in their own way say, hey, here's how I can contribute or want to contribute. And it's been absolutely overwhelming the amount of support that we've been able to get in such a short time. And the most important part of it for me is that I know that Isla, for, she will never, ever, ever have to walk this road alone at all. When she's at school, Every teacher there, every from the cafeteria ladies to her gym teacher, her music teacher, everyone has eyes on Isla and is there to help her and support her and say, you, you go, girl. And, you know, whenever she saw the T-shirts that have her face on it, basically, she said, Mom, everyone's just really proud to be my friend. And she had such pride when she talks about that, you know, because she's had to go through a lot, all of these the traveling to go see different doctors and the tests and the pokes and the prods, you know, it's a lot for a little kid and it's not fun at all and it's confusing and it's scary. During you know, a, you know, losing your vision rapidly is well, I had to go through all of that traveling and all of that stuff during a pandemic um, and all of this other stuff has been, um, you know, you were, you were just diagnosed in the, in the late summer of 2021 and here we are, February 2022, and um, you, you've there, there's been this short runway, but you've done so much in that time, in the midst of the global chaos that's happening right now. And and I I can't imagine what that looks like to a little kid. It's 
flipped her whole world upside down. And of course, she's taken it with such grace. And, and you know, she even said whenever we, um, whenever she talks about going to Maryland, you know, she says, oh, when we were on vacation. Like, oh, that's so sweet. You oh, know? my gosh. Yeah. She was having to have blood drawn and, and just sit and kind of be bored and go through different tests. It was not a vacation for her, but, but her positive spirit, you know, again, it's just her positive spirit. And everything we've been able to accomplish, yes, we've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. That is because of the support that we've had mm -hmm. from friends and family and strangers in our community who have just said, hey, we see you and we celebrate Isla and we're going to help her. And that help has it has translated into to real action. And that's just, I'm, I'm forever grateful in ways that I'll never be able to really express. Absolutely. And you know, the word community gets used a lot in this in this arena, rare disease. Um, and it, it's because of that. I mean, you can think of a small town coming together to rally around um, one individual. Uh, in rare disease, the, you're, it's so isolating. Um, you, your doctor might not know anyone who has this. Um, your doctor likely doesn't know anyone who has this. You, you're going to have a hard time finding other people with a similar situation and um that camaraderie and that solidarity is hard to come by and so when you find it it's so empowering and it's so comforting um that there, there is this the thing that we always talk about is that even though it's rare to have a rare disease uh a given rare disease it's not that rare to have a rare disease in general so you know rare isn't rare in the and and that in in the rare disease community no matter what disease a person has there's this there's this common thread that people see eye to eye on and they just say hey i got you um you know we're we're together on this and um and that is those are strong bonds um that, that's that spread across those those communities that are there and uh what a powerful story that you have in just this short period of time that you've been on this on this journey um i want to thank you so much for sharing it with us and for for um, being with us today uh before we we end the episode today I, i'm wondering if you'd please share the website that you made what where could people find information about ilo where can people find information about what's going on sure thank you and thank you for for having me um i know that listening to other families' stories and, and, you know, their kind of path has been, uh, especially in the beginning, very, very helpful. So if I can be helpful to anyone in any capacity, I am overjoyed at the opportunity. Um, yeah. Isla's website is www.islasfaith.com. That's I-S-L-A-S-Faith.com. Um, and on there it has her story, um, her kind of like little about me bio. Um, I try to post updates on there, especially on her Facebook page, which is Isla's Faith, uh, Isla's, Isla Edwards' Fight Against the Ellen Bat Disease. Lots of updates just so people can really follow her journey and celebrate those victories with her. Um, and also I try to include any new information about uh, where the scientists and where the science of uh, bat disease is day to day, month to month, um, because a lot of people are, are so invested in this and I try to kind of help give them a shortcut of, hey, here's, here's where we are and here's 
is what we're looking forward to. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Jacqueline, to our listeners. Go check out islasfaith.com and uh, learn more about this amazing family. And um, look forward to, uh, to, to hearing more from you and, and, uh, and getting to know you better over the course of time here, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I really Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chordscast. <laughs>